the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Wednesday afternoon. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. The best way to do that is for you to call us. And if you're driving in your car because it's been raining most of the day, the safest way to do that is to use the free KSLR mobile app. You have to only hit one button. Call now and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Otherwise, you can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. Or you can call us toll-free if you're outside the local area uh, at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630 and if you want to communicate electronically, you can email questions to us uh, by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or using our free Calvary Chapel mobile app to do that as well. Just be careful out there on the streets. And by the way, it's not raining so hard that you have to miss church. If your church has a midweek study, go. What a great opportunity just to sort of sit back and let the Word of God speak to your hearts. Uh, because this is Wednesday, we've got a whole bunch going on tomorrow. Of course, Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the day, day edition of the program. I want to make this note to Waiting Wife, who sent us an email uh, before we left for vacation. Uh, for Paula, she will be dealing with that uh, tomorrow. Um, at the top of the program. So Waiting Wife, if you're listening today, be sure to tune in tomorrow at 4 o'clock and Paula will deal with the question that you sent. I apologize for it taking so long, but uh, our trip out of town last week was sort of a last-minute thing that we just felt like we needed to do. So uh, she will get to that question tomorrow. We have our midweek Bible study tonight here at Calvary Chapel. I'm going to be uh, in a very encouraging passage of scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 22. I've actually only got three or including tonight three or maybe possibly four more studies uh, in uh, the book of 2 Samuel and then we here will be going to uh, the prophecy of Isaiah on Wednesday nights uh, next. So um, that's what's going on here. Uh, remember this is Joy of Jesus week. Let me give you some really really good news. 82 degrees is the new forecast high, all sunny on Saturday. It's going to be a great day, and we'd love to meet you out at the park. Travis Park, Saturday, October the 27th. Joy of Jesus begins at 11 o'clock, and it goes till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And you will be blown away by what you see, and, and, and just to see the hand of God moving, uh, come out and be available to minister. Uh, I mentioned this the first couple of days. I'll be doing it the rest of the week as well. If you are a hair-cutting professional, uh, we would love, and a Christian, that's what's really important. You're a believer. Uh, we'd love to have you come out and help us cut hair. We never have enough uh, people doing hair. It is one of the most effective and impactful ministries that we have. And um, this year we're a little bit short on on stylists or beauticians or barbers, whatever you might be 
doing. Uh, so we'd love to have your help. Call the church office at 658-8337. Let them know that you heard on the radio the need that you'd like to be there, and we'll give you all of the pertinent details. So lots going on this week. I'm so grateful to God for making the weather warm. One of the ladies from the church came in a little while ago, and she said, Make it stop, Pastor Ron. I know you're praying because the weather's going to be too hot. And so I said, Okay, I won't pray for 82 anymore. I've been praying for 92 all morning because I like it warm. So this this Saturday morning, 11 o'clock Saturday at Joy of Jesus, Travis Park in downtown San Antonio. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let me deal with the question that we closed with. Uh, Wes called yesterday from Johnson City right at the end of the program. And there wasn't enough time. We had less than four minutes when he called in, and, and there just wasn't enough time uh, for him to clarify his question and me to, to answer it properly. So I said I'd do it at the top of the program today. And his question was about First uh, John. Uh, why do we confess our sins if our sins have been forgiven? And I think, Wes, that's a fair summary of, of it. If, if this is written to Christians and our sins have been forgiven, why does First John 1, 9 say if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness? Um, Wes, one of the things that we have to do is remember... Um, What we, the context of the passage of Scripture, the author's purpose in writing. And in 1 John chapter 1, the key verse to understand your question is verse 3. Uh, John writes, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. And his reference there is Jesus. He says in the first two verses, uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. That's all a reference to Jesus. And then he says this, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard. Now here's the statement of purpose. So that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So in this entire epistle, the, the, the context there is having fellowship with other believers, because their fellowship, other believers, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So this is the context and if we're going to have fellowship with God, we have to walk in the light in this very same epistle because he is the light. We have to walk in the light. We have to come out of darkness. John says repeatedly things like, if you say you're a believer, but do not do what he tells you to do, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. I mean, this is such a challenging little letter. Um, and he wants to be sure that we're able to have fellowship. So there's two things that we have to understand about asking for forgiveness. As an unbeliever, when we come to Jesus and ask for to, to be forgiven, we surrender our heart to Him, we're born again. All of our sins, past, present, and future, are washed away, covered by the blood of Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness, or I sometimes say the perfection of God. So all of that's done, Wes. We are saved, our sins are forgiven and forgotten. However, as we walk through this world, we walk through the process of sanctification. We sin. John also says later in the epistle, we say we do not have sin, then we lie and the truth is in us. So we sin, and whenever we sin without repentance, without asking for forgiveness, then our fellowship is broken. We don't lose our salvation but our fellowship, Wes, is broken. And so when we get to chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, the word there is to agree with God about what sin. Not, well, Lord, if I sinned, or I don't think it's such a big deal. But when we sin, we have to agree with God that it's sin and ask for forgiveness. And when we do, we are forgiven of that sin which restores fellowship. Now, Wes, I hope this will make some sense to you, but... Every married person in the world has had those times when with the, the husband or the wife that they love,
they've had a time when their fellowship was broken because of an argument or because of something that somebody did or said. And you can know how uncomfortable those times can be. Before I was saved and before Paula was saved, we would go sometimes days and, and I'd give her the silent treatment or she'd give me the silent treatment. We were still married. We still loved each other. But we certainly weren't in fellowship with each other because of the tension. Well, sin in our relationship with Jesus Christ is that tension. And so what we want to do is repent of our sins, confess, ask for forgiveness, and instantly, and this is the best news, Wes, instantly, instantly when we ask for forgiveness, we're just as if we never sinned and our fellowship is immediately restored. You know, we humans, when somebody does something wrong and they eventually come back and say, I'm sorry, um, you know, we kind of look at them through a wary eye. Well, I, I can forgive, but I can't forget. We say things like that. Well, not so with God. He forgives and forgets, and our fellowship is once again with Him. And then joyously we're free to fellowship with other believers in the body of Christ. So that's what this means. Yesterday in your comments, Wes, and we were all hurrying, so I, I might have misunderstood. Um, but but you, you said, well, this is a, a book at the beginning anyway, talking about unbelievers. This entire book is written to believers of all different levels of faith, not just new believers, but mature believers. He talks about children. He talks to young men. He talks to fathers. Describing different levels of maturity in, in, in the body of Christ. But the truth is we all sin continually and fall short of the glory of God continually. And so we've got to keep those short accounts. I tell my church here all the time, keep short accounts. And Wes, I wasn't quite sure what you meant. You said you've never heard me preach about this, but, but I've taught this book a um, couple of times uh, in our years here. Not just that, but I am constantly telling our people here in, in all of the teachings, because this is the theme that runs throughout the Bible, that, that, that we've got to keep short accounts with God so that our fellowship isn't broken, because when our fellowship is broken, we're going to be guilty of even greater sin. And, you know, we don't want to compound sin with greater sin. So the way to do it is say, oh, God, I'm sorry. We don't play around with sin. I'm as direct as I can possibly be, especially to the people that God has given me responsibility for spiritually. I want them to know that they serve a loving, eager God, somebody who's eager to forgive our sins. And all we have to do is ask. One of the things I would suggest maybe, Wes, is that you uh, listen on live stream tonight at calvarysa.com to the Bible study that I'm doing because when we get to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 22, a lot of these principles um, are very, very important and applicable to us as New Testament Christians. And tonight's Bible study is about as encouraging as a Bible study can be. God is so good. God is so faithful. When we're not faithful, He is. And all of that is available to all of us to a far greater degree than David could have ever understood because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. So Wes, I hope that makes sense to you. Um, it's a really important passage of Scripture to understand. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question that comes from Zach. He says, I know Eve sinned first, so why is the sin charged to Adam? Now, Zach, I started answering this question yesterday when we got that last-minute phone call from Wes. So uh, without boring you with repetition, let me just say this, that Adam, we know from the book of Romans, is our federal father. In other words, he represents mankind. And Adam is the one who is created from nothing by the hand of God directly. Now, it's true that Eve was created by the hand of God, but out of Adam, out of his side, Adam was created from nothing, and it was Adam to whom God spoke and gave him the responsibility to eat 
of every tree but the one. When you eat of the fruit of the forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And Eve, we know, from 1 Timothy chapter 2, was the one who was deceived. But Adam sinned willfully. In the ancient world was a patriarchal culture, of course, and, and so the, the, the seed was passed from man to his sons and daughters. And that's exactly what Adam did. He passed to us his sin nature. So the sin is charged to Adam. Now, by the way, let me say one other thing about this whole episode. When, when um, Eve ate and then she gave to her husband and said, come on, you eat too. And, and, and Adam made it. Well, when God confronted him, when he was sort of hiding from God in the garden, they realized they were naked and they were hiding. And God's voice, Adam, Adam, where art thou, Adam? And, and Adam said, well, I'm here, but we're hiding because... We're naked, we realized it, and God said, you ate from the fruit that I forbid you to eat from. And then Adam said this, he said, Lord, the woman you gave me, and that's often construed, and I really think incorrectly, as him blaming Eve for his sin. I think that's a horrible interpretation of that passage. He wasn't saying, well, if it wouldn't have been for her, I wouldn't have done it. He was just reporting the facts. If you read the account of the fall, Adam is simply reporting the facts. This is what happened. The woman that you gave me, she ate, and then I took and I ate. And there's not an implication at all, and it's almost always universally taught this way that he was this, making her the scapegoat. Uh, th there's, there's no indication of that at all. We've heard it so often it becomes fact, uh, but if you read the passage carefully, what you're going to find is that Adam acted of his own free will. He willfully made the choice to remain in fellowship with Eve as opposed to remaining in fellowship with God. So I hope that helps, Zach. Thank you very much for the question. Here is a question from Denny. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I misread. It's Danny. Uh, Danny says, can you explain what Matthew 5.20 means? How can our righteousness exceed the Pharisees' righteousness? Danny, in effect, what Jesus was saying is, you see those guys over there? And remember, these throngs of people were always around Jesus. And in effect, what Jesus was saying was, you see those guys over there, those Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, the teachers of the law? You think they've got it all together? You think their righteousness is perfect? And Jesus, now remember, Matthew chapter 5 is where the Sermon on the Mount begins. Jesus, you think their righteousness is perfect? Well, I'm telling you that it's harder than you believe because unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you'll in no way enter the kingdom of God. I mean, think about the most righteous man or woman that you know. And being that good won't get you to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. And that's his point. In fact, Danny, in the entire Sermon on the Mount, we read that and it causes Christians to grit their teeth and struggle so much because, well, I could never do that. Turn the other cheek. If they take your cloak, give them your tunic as well. Um, we don't want to do those things. Well, what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is if you want to get to heaven, Without believing in me, this is how good you have to be. Now, Jesus raised the stakes for his listeners because they thought keeping the law was what they had to do. Instead of understanding that they couldn't keep the law, they kept striving to keep the law. And the result, of course, was that they kept failing. Well, Jesus said, I'm going to make it even more difficult for you because you've heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say unto you, if you've looked at a woman with lust, you're already guilty of adultery. And Jesus was going behind the letter of the law all the way to the spirit of the law. And he was telling people, this is how good you have to be. This is one of the reasons, Danny, that we have to be men and women who rest in Christ. Our relationship with him is not based on what we've done or can do or will do. Our relationship is based on one thing and one thing alone. And that's what he's already done for us. 
So you find the most righteous man in this entire world. And Jesus says, unless you're more righteous than him, you're not going to go to heaven. Uh, I think it's coming up, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday here at Calvary Chapel. I'm going to be I'm going to be talking about John the Baptist in uh, Luke chapter 7. Uh, and, and Jesus said that he was the greatest man ever born of a woman. In the old dispensation, he was the greatest man ever born. And then he says, but I tell you, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And why? The answer is because he's in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So, Danny, that's what it means. He was challenging them to set their sights higher than the righteousness of the people they thought were the most righteous people they knew. Might be one of the reasons that the Pharisees and Sadducees started quickly trying to plot Jesus' murder. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We'd love to have them. Here's a question from Roger that I don't understand, Roger. It says, um, he says, I understand you are a Calvinist. How can you reconcile that with your comments last week on free will? Roger, I don't know where you heard that I'm a Calvinist. I'm as far from a Calvinist as you can possibly be. Um, if you've listened to this program for any length of time, um, I, I abhor Reformed theology. Now, it doesn't disqualify people from heaven. It's not heresy. It falls within the boundaries of the essentials of this short Christian faith. But but Calvinism is, is just bad fruit, and I am not a Calvinist. Um, people will jump to the conclusion, oh, so you're an Armenianist? No, I'm not an Armenianist. What we do is we look at the Bible, and we find the balance. And my comments on free will last week, Roger, were, were pretty straightforward. Free will is a gift from God. We have to choose. He doesn't force us to believe. And the choice that we make in life, he will honor in death. Nobody is sent to hell by God. If you tell the Lord that you don't want anything to do with him in this life, then he's going to honor that decision in death. And as you were separated by choice from him in life, you will be separated in eternity. Of course, we call that hell. So I am not a Calvinist. I've never been a Calvinist. Um, again, I know Calvinists who love Jesus. They're just wrong in the area of their Reformed theology. So, uh, I, I, again, I don't know how you ever could have understood anything I ever said uh, would lead you to believe that I was a Calvinist. And it's one of the reasons that we need not to listen to other people, because you, you need to find out these things for yourself. A Calvinist, me. Whew. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, here's a question from Andy. He says, Pastor Ron, why do some people use G-D um, in writing God's name or in talking about God? Uh, Andy, it's one of my pet peeves, and uh, I don't know why they do. I, I can tell you the reason they do, and that's different than the why, but the reason that they do is because they don't understand at all what Jesus came to do. You know, uh, it gives us the, 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 the appearance of spirituality. Um, you know, we hear the stories, and all believers have heard it at one Bible study or another. You know, the Jewish scribes so revered the name of God that they wouldn't write out the whole name. Um, they would have to go through purification rituals after they would write the name of God. Um, and, and so the scribes who would who would be the copyists would would leave out words. They wouldn't write the whole the whole name. And for, there's something about that, and I, I don't know what it is, I can't understand it, but there's something about that that appeals to people. And even in our church, we have people from time to time who will write me letters or emails, and they will do this very thing. And I always tell them the same thing. Don't you know what Jesus came to do? He came to bring a distant, out-there God and become a near-to-you God, a God in you. And that G-D has been revealed to us as Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
And this is the same Jesus that says he wants to be our friend. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. Uh, a God who loves us so much that he gave him his own life on the cross for ours. That he took the punishment that we deserve, that our sins deserve, Isaiah 53 says. And he did it for one reason, and that the, the, the reason going would be that he didn't want to see us in pain. He didn't want to see us humiliated and embarrassed. So he took our place. Now that's an intimate thing to do. That's the, the greatest of all gifts. And if that's a gift, we need to take advantage of it. We need to know him. So, Andy, I don't know why they do it. I, 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 could, I could make some assumptions, but that might border on judging them. So I'm just going to assume that they simply don't know who Jesus is and how near he's brought us. It's terrible when we treat him like a stranger when, in fact, we know everything about him. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. The phones have been quiet yesterday and today. We'd love your live calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the last half of our program today did i tell you paul is going to be back live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day show ladies it's your day to be encouraged. That's what she does best. She's been doing it for me for 48 years. 340-9585. Here is a phone call we've got from Seguin Anthony on line one. Anthony, good to hear from you. How are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, Anthony. Praise the Lord. We've been praying for you. Thank you so much. I, I really, really, really appreciate it. Um, I, I, I have a, hopefully I can squeeze in a couple of questions and, and then uh, listen to you. Uh, uh, okay, first, um, the, the colostomy bag. I still have the colostomy bag. Uh, they're not going to take it off because uh, I need to lose weight. And so I got discouraged but, about that, but that's okay. But uh, the other day, um, I was under a lot of stress because uh, – I'm still dealing with depression, and I'm still dealing with all of that, but I'm um, I'm letting God take care of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm just say, God, you're going to deal with this. I can't. You know, you, I just give it all to God, and, and I'm fine. But the other day, uh, the other night, I had an accident at night uh, with my colostomy bag, and I really don't want to go into details. If, yeah. You know, I just if you know what a colostomy bag is, then mm. having an accident at night, you should know what that means. So, yeah. anyways, I got I got frustrated. I got really, really frustrated because I was in the middle of the night. I was in so much pain because I'm still in pain. I'm still going through, you know, some of the stuff that I was going through then. The only difference is now, I've let God take control of it, and mm-hmm. I'm so much more at peace. Than, than I was then. Okay, so the other night, like I said, I had a, I had a, you know an accident, and I got up and I started cleaning it, and I was crying, and and at the same time I was just talking to God, and you know, and then out loud, out of frustration, and I'm not saying it's an excuse. I just said, why in the world did you do this to me? What did I do to you? Why are you punishing me? Why? And then I just went on a rant out of nowhere mm-hmm. and then afterwards i just i sat there and i'm like what did i just say <laughs> so of course you know the past few days the enemy's been coming at my mind and telling me you know you you really got mad got you got mad god mad at you now uh, he's not gonna listen to you now now he's not so you better not ask him for anything because you questioned him and you had you had the audacity to yell at him and question him why did you give why did you know why did you give me this colostomy bag? Now my question is, you know, and I, I hope I know the answer. <laughs> my question is, is God holding that against me? And I got to stay on the line because I don't have a phone. If that's okay with you, 
Okay, Anthony, I can do that. I'm on the radio, so can I stay on the line? Sure, sure, you can stay on the on the on the line, Anthony. I I'm so sorry. These kind of things happen. You know, one of the things that frustrates me to no end with the devil is that he's the one who puts those thoughts in our head. He's the one who takes advantage of of the opportunity. First Peter chapter five verse eight says that he says a a, a a roaring lion prowling around looking for exactly the right moment to devour, and then when he when when you you you, you fall then he heaps condemnation on you. Um, that's just his method of operation. So what you need to understand is that he was there. You've owned the responsibility for this. You said not to make an excuse, but um, God understands when we fall. God understands when we get frustrated. He understands the limits of our humanity better than we can possibly imagine. And so... Uh, Romans 8.1 is for you. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and anytime you're feeling condemned, Anthony, then that's a sure identification marker of the enemy of your soul. So condemnation comes from the enemy. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And you've already experienced that as well. The conviction of God. God, I'm so sorry. What was I thinking? Why did I say that? I'm so sorry. At that moment, it was forgiven and forgotten. So God remembers that sin no more. He can't hold something against you if he doesn't remember it. And the one thing you don't want to do is keep bringing it up in your conversation with, with the Lord. God, I'm so sorry I did it. It's almost as though the Lord would say, well, you did what? Well, you know what I did. You know what I said. You know what I accused you of. No, I don't remember any of it because he chooses not to remember. So Anthony, um, he's thrilled with you. Uh, he's not angry at you. He's not disappointed. In fact, when you had that mini meltdown, he wasn't even surprised. You know what he was doing? And I hope this makes sense to you, Anthony. What he was doing was he was right there with you, cleaning up the mess that you made. He was right there with you, letting you know that he understands what you're going through. And you never want to forget that. And every time you have doubts. Every time you have questions about whether or not he's holding something against you, identify that immediately as the enemy of your soul. And when you do that, James says, if you submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. He's stubborn, but when you resist him, when you hold on to what is true, it is written, Jesus said, when he was tempted by the devil. When you do that, the devil flees. Now, he's going to come back and bug you again. But just because you had a weak moment, a moment of, of frustration, a, a moment I think every listener on this radio station can understand, I think at that moment, Jesus is right there with you, Anthony. So take heart, dear brother. Take heart and be encouraged. Jesus is madly in love with you. Okay? One more question. May I ask one more question? Yes, go ahead. Uh, okay, um, fear. How do I ask God for fear? The Bible, if I'm not mistaken, in the book of Proverbs, it says the beginning, of, correct me if I'm wrong, the beginning of knowledge, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding is the fear of the Lord. How do I ask, how do I put it into words? Um, you know, Lord, give me your fear, give me the fear of you, or how, how do I ask for that? To understand, yeah. I want wisdom and understanding and knowledge of what I'm reading. Okay. okay. Anthony, I think the easiest way to do that is let me encourage you to read Isaiah chapter 50. Okay. Um, consider what Jesus has done for you. Um, and then, then think of the fear. It, it's not a fear like I'm terrified. It's a filial yeah. fear, a loving fear. Uh, it, it's more than just being in awe. Or holding in reverence but it's more a fear of being without God now I'm going to combine your two questions here to, to make a, a I think a really important point you know when 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 the, the enemy lied to you and you foolishly charged God for why did you do this to me the God who died for you and yet you said why did you do this to me well the man who is the fear of God instead of charging God would simply say, God, I know, I know, oh God, that you're faithful. 
Even when I'm not, you are. I know that you love me because you've demonstrated it forever. And what I'm afraid of is not being with you. I'm afraid of our fellowship being broken because of my weakness. And that's the fear of God that we need to really, really have in, the, in our souls, Anthony, all the time. That fear of what we can do. And for you, I can turn this bad situation from the other night into a positive now. Because what you can remember now is every time that you give in to the lies of the enemy or every time that your fellowship with God is broken, um, then you could be foolish all over again. And your fear is, I don't want to do that ever, Lord. No. So the fear isn't a fear of God. It's a filial fear that says, apart from you, I can do nothing. And that's what we need to do. In the Old Testament, we hear about the fear of God. There was legitimately a fear of God because God um, would call down judgment. Uh, God would, would, would strike the, 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 the land with a famine, the land flowing with milk and honey. Suddenly there's a famine. Uh, and so there was, there was this fear of God. When Moses went up the mountain, the rest of the Jewish elders were afraid to said, no, you go talk to him. They had a fear, a trembling, shaking fear of God. But our fear of God is something that's completely different and far, far, far more constructive. Um, it's a fear of being away from God, a fear of being out of fellowship with God. So, Anthony, that's what you have to do. Let Isaiah chapter 50, you, you, you think about what Jesus did for you, and then the fear of walking away from that, and I don't mean in a salvic, salvation, uh, salvation sense, but... The fear of, of not being in fellowship with God is always going to lead to difficult things. And this is something that I have walked for 27 years with Jesus. I'm so fearful of my flesh. I'm so fearful of being away from God. I know, Anthony, beyond any doubt, that after 27 years of walking with Jesus, my flesh is not one bit better than it was 27 years ago when I got saved. So I need to be with Jesus, and I'm terrified of my fellowship with Jesus being broken. Okay? Okay. Thank you so much, and thank you for your thank you, Anthony. prayers, and God bless you. Okay? Thank you, sir. Thank you, Anthony, and we'll be praying for you. Let's go to Zach calling from San Antonio. Zach, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Hi, Zach. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's been a while Good. since I've called the radio show. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy about everything, I guess. Um. But let me just get right to my question. Um, so, honestly, um, the guy before, I'm really thankful he called in because what I'm talking is very similar to his, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, pretty much, um, how do we go through trials? Like, how do we do it the right way? How do we do it biblically? Because it's just like, I, I mean, I went through a trial that I wouldn't call as bad as anything that... Um, the previous caller had gone into, you know, like I didn't get into any interviews or anything like that, you know, but it's more like, I guess I just had like a dream collapse or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I just know during that period, I didn't react very godly, you know, I didn't, um, I didn't put anything that I really knew about God and I didn't really trust him. I don't think I really trusted him in that situation, you know, and I just really, my question is, how do we respond to trials, you know? And, like, if you had personal examples, that would be awesome as well. But, um, yeah, I'll just hang up and um, listen to you on the air. And thank you so much, Pastor Ron. Thank you, Zach, and thank you for your honesty. You know, one of the things that, that we, we all have to be aware of is that we go through all of these things, all of us. This is something we have in common. Um, Bible studies that I'm going to be doing this week. Um, they seem to all kind of be meshing together. And there's this commonality of tests and trials. The problem that we have with tests and trials, obviously, apart from the fact that we don't like going through them, is understanding that we need them. Um, Zach, when we embrace trials, we need to learn to embrace them, not enjoy them. That would be foolish. But when we learn to embrace them, what we do is we understand what God is doing in our hearts. He's trying to change us. He's trying to make us more and more like Him. Now, every Christian, Zach, you, me, anybody else, we've all prayed at times, Oh, Lord, I want to be more like you. Well, the way to do that often is through trials. Jesus suffered for us. Jesus was the object of murder plots for us. 
And so when we go through trials, when there's a trial going on, we have to learn that there is a purpose of God in these trials. There's storms of correction. There's storms of direction. Um, there, there's times when God needs to get our attention. The Bible says he disciplines those he loves. And when we look at those things as trials, okay, God, what are you trying to accomplish? And I think that's the most important thing I can say to you is when you're in the middle of a trial, uh, in your case, a dream uh, sort of falls apart. Um, faith says, Lord, it was my dream. Evidently, it wasn't your dream. And my problem was wanting something apart from your will. And then saying, as much as this hurts, Lord, and as disappointed as I am that my dream fell apart, what I really want in my heart of hearts is your will. And so if this wasn't your dream, it was just my dream, thank you, Jesus, for taking it away. Because it wasn't good for me. Jesus in the garden, three times Father, if there's any way this cup can pass for me. That wasn't Jesus' desire to go and suffer and die. It was his Father's plan. When the Father said no on those three occasions, Jesus said, nevertheless, thy will and not my will be done. So when it comes to dreams and things like that, Zach, what we have to do is acquiesce to the will of God, understanding intellectually and spiritually that it's better for us. It hurts, yes, but it's better for us. Um, go to Daniel chapter 3 and read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown in a fire by a furious Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fire, and he said, well, how many people do we throw in there? And of course the answer was three. Then why do I see four, and the fourth is like a son of God? And then he sees all of them walking around in the fire. You know, the three Hebrew young men, the ropes were burned, and they were no longer bound as they were cast into the fire. But they were walking around in the fire. They didn't leave the fire, though they could have. They were free to do it. Jesus was obviously protecting them. So they could have left the fire, but they would have rather stayed in the fire with Jesus than escape the fire without him. And I think that's really instructive for us to understand that being with Jesus, even in the middle of a terrible trial or a terrible test, being with Jesus is better than being in what we would consider a safe or a painless place without him. The Apostle Paul, read Second Corinthians most notably, chapters 11 and 12. The things that he suffered, the trials, the pain, the betrayals, the, the, the murder plots. But in all of those things, Paul could later write that he would pray that we would be able to share in the fellowship of those sufferings. So understanding that God has a purpose for them gives them meaning and purpose and direction. Again, it doesn't make them enjoyable. Nobody should say, praise the Lord, I'm in a trial. But what we should say is, Jesus, I'm in a trial and I can't survive apart from you. So teach me what I need to learn and draw near to me, Lord. And in the middle of that trial, he will be there. And you know what will happen? He'll point and say, follow me. And he will start a path that will deliver you from the trial. You know, we want to be delivered from trials. Jesus delivers us through trials. And on the other side of that trial, we can trust him a little bit more every time. So when you didn't react as well as you would have hoped, don't be discouraged. Don't let the devil lie to you and condemn you. Instead, here's what I always do, Zach. I say, Lord... Let me trust you a little longer next time. And that's a prayer he'll answer. You ask for some personal examples. I've got 27 years of them. Zach, you know, people have a tendency to think that when you've been with the Lord a long time, or if you're a pastor, you don't go through the same things that other people go through. And by the way, that's a, 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 a terrible thing that's... that's uh, um, false teachers would say, oh no, my faith is so great, I don't have any problems. That's just not true. 
they don't have any problems because they're doing the devil's work and not, not God's work. But in my particular case, Zach, every day I'm terrified. You know, we've got, I don't know how many people come to our church, but we've got a lot of people that come to our church. And ministries with tentacles that reach out into lots and lots of places. This radio show, imagine what it would be like if I'd come on the radio program and I couldn't tell you that, that you can trust God when I myself hadn't been trusting Him in a trial. So it pretty much guarantees that I'm going to be in trials every day of my life. God doesn't let us teach theory. We have to teach what we've learned through experience. In our case, our constant trial here is financial. Zach, we, we do everything here for free. Jesus has been really clear that this is his church and this is his plan. Um, if we didn't have a free school, if we didn't have a free doctor's office, if we didn't have a free house for uh, women who are in danger or trying to get a new start in life, if we didn't have a national radio ministry, we could have a huge building. I could have my own radio studio. But you see, that's not God's plan. And every day, every day, we're wondering how we're going to stay open that day. We've been doing this now here at San Antonio for almost 24 years. 23 and a half years. And every day Jesus meets us and we're still here. And there are times when it is so crushing. The responsibility of payrolls, people who are making sacrifices themselves and they're looking to me to pay them. Now they're really not. They're looking to the Lord. They understand that. But I'm the one who has to say we don't have any money. And sometimes it is overwhelming. I dream about it. Often the last thought I have before I go to sleep with the help of the enemy is how are we going to pay this or how are we going to do that? First thing I think about in the morning with the help of the enemy is oh, more money is needed. What are we going to do? And it keeps me on my knees. But you know what? I'm more like Jesus who though he was rich became poor. And while I wasn't as rich as Jesus was I used to be a wealthy man. And I've had the opportunities, Zach, to see the hand of God move just by surviving through these trials, by not taking matters into my own hands. Instead, simply understanding I'm a man under orders and my job is to do what he tells me to do. The result is my capacity to love God and God's people, my capacity to trust him because he's delivered us through so much has increased to the point where and I, I don't want to challenge God with this this isn't a, a boastful statement but, but I can't imagine ever saying no to him so whatever he tells me to do next we're going to do and if it doesn't make sense we're still going to do it and if it closes the church we're still going to do it really important. So Zach, I hope that helps. Let's go to San Marcos now. Talk with Roland on line one. Roland, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir. Good afternoon. I hope Hi, Roland. Know. I am. Thank you. I was just, I was, I listen to you every day for the last uh, two years. And uh, because of you, sir, my life has really, really changed. Uh, oh, it it I've, I've had a lot of problems that through my life for the last 21 and a half years I've been blind and I've had my leg amputated five years ago mm. and it's struggle after struggle but you know I believe in the Lord so much that uh, he puts me through everything I mean he helps me and the more I listen to you the more I understand more and more of what he's doing uh, I love all, I've always believed in Jesus, and uh, since I was born, you know, I've always been a Jesus believer. And 
and right now I'm listening to you and what you've gone what you've gone through, and I've almost gone through the same. You know, I've always had you know sufficient money to pay all my bills and to just you know barely hanging on. But you know, God comes through every week, every week, <laughs> and every month. Everything's been paid for, and I'm so I'm so. Oh, I'm, I'm so, he's awesome. He's so awesome. Yeah. Oh, Rome, bless more, your heart. The more I listen to you, sir, the, the more I understand the word better. And you're, you're a blessing that's come my way. And I thank God for you. I pray for you and your wife. And I, I thank you so much for everything that you say. I listen to you <laughs> intently. I don't miss a word of what you got to say. And you've been truly, truly a blessing to me. Thank you, Roland. Can I ask you a question? Uh, how long have you been yep. blind? Your whole life? Twenty-one and a half years. Twenty-one and a half years. And how old a man are you, if you don't mind me asking? No, sir. I'm sixty-one. Sixty-one. So, see, you're younger than I am. But uh, you, you know, it, it's it's hard to for people that with with sight. Now, I'm visually impaired myself, and it's hard for people with sight. Um, to, to really understand uh, what our dependency is. And, and I think sometimes, Roland, people like you and me, God afflicts us with these things. I don't mean that he caused it or anything, but, but these things happen. And, and in, in our weakness, he really becomes strong. And when we, when we understand that, then he, he's so pleased with us because we continue to serve him, we continue to say yes, even when it's scary to do so. Roland, God bless you. Thank you for your call. It meant more than you can possibly imagine. Thank you for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Joy of Jesus, Saturday, October the 27th, Travis Park. 11 to 3. Paula live in studio tomorrow, ladies. We'll see you then. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.